mind doing the intro, Chris? I don't have any intro. Welcome to the Pink Smoke Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Funderberg. I have with me, as always, co-host John Benjamin Cribbs, the man from Plains. And today we are particularly happy to be joined for a conversation for by Pink Smoke Third Mike, one of our oldest and most important collaborators, the great Marcus Penn of Penland Empire, a podcaster in his own right, king of the side-by-sides, the man himself to talk about two films that we would not want to discuss without Marcus Penn here. We're talking about Lucretia Martel's Zama and Claire Denise's Let the Sunshine In. Thanks very, very much for coming, Marcus. Wow, thank you for that intro. Uh, no, of course, you guys know anytime. I'm always down to talk movies. It's, it's what we do when we're not recording, so you know. Yeah. So here we are. John, you just threw that intro to me without preparation. Do you want to lay out real quick? We're going to talk about Zama first and let the sunshine in second. Do you just want to throw out a little bit of background, maybe a brief plot description on Zama so everyone knows what we're talking about? Absolutely. So Zama is the new film by Lucretia Martel, uh, the filmmaker behind such uh, fantastic, excellent films as La Cienaga, um, The Holy Girl, and The Headless Woman. This is her first feature film in since 2009, so almost 10 years. So obviously it's a huge event. Uh, it's a film that uh, has been long in gestation. I think ultimately something like 16 companies had to come together to get the film made. Um, well, I mean, not to spoil anything, but work the wait, I would say. Yeah, um, I don't think there's a doubt. any chance there's a better movie in 2018. There might be equal movies, but I don't think there's any chance there's a better film. And Marcus, you've had a while to kind of ruminate on it because you saw it last year at uh, New York Film Festival. So what are some of your thoughts uh, uh, having seen the film. And just to describe the plot real quick, it's about Don Diego Zama, who is sort of a government functionary down in a small town in, I don't know what country. Paraguay. Is it Paraguay? Yes. And, uh, in the 1790s. To leave. He's looking for a letter from the governor to get out of town. And it's about the trials and tribulations of his miseries as an imperialist overseer of a uh, burgeoning colony in South America. That's pretty much it. That's it's basically him hoping to get a reassignment for the entire film. And it's sort of uh, cut, you know, it's cut off into sort of three distinctive parts, you know, um, but really that's what it comes down to is just him becoming more and more uh, despondent over the years as he's sort of left here, you know, alone, his family, uh, not with him and just kind of hoping to get moved to this other city. So, yeah. So Marcus, what were your initial thoughts seeing the film? Oh no. Like um, Chris said, it's, although yeah, I saw it last year. It's definitely in my top like three or four of this year so far. And I don't really see it moving. It's kind of like a, um, you know, it's like an acid period piece. Um, That's kind of how it's, well, that's kind of how I described it. I was just talking about this movie earlier today on my own uh, podcast. Uh, That's kind of where I'm just coming from. So it's kind of fresh. It's weird because it's fresh on my mind having talked about it, but I actually, I mean, I haven't seen this movie in six and a half years. It's like I reread, what I wrote about it before I was going to be on here just to kind of like, you know, remember stuff. But there's something weird. It's one of those movies I don't know if I want to watch it again. There's a couple of movies like that where it's like, I just want that. Wait, which movies? Uh, What's that? 
You just said you haven't seen Zama in six and a half years, and I lost the thread. What are you talking about? My bad. I haven't seen Zama in six and a half months. My bad. Okay. And it's one, it's what I'm saying. What I'm saying. It's one of those movies that I don't want to watch again because I just kind of want to have it uh, yeah. in my mind, like the way I saw it. it was just perfect the, the the first time I saw it. I like don't want to watch it again. I'm sure I'll watch it again, obviously, but um. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's funny. My first thought was like, I wish I could see it again tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> like I really John and I saw it together. I would have sat and watched sad. it again immediately, wouldn't you have, John? Yeah, but I can understand that. Like that, uh, I, I follow that thread where you feel like you just kind of want the memory of that weird and interesting film, just sort of in the back of your head. Yeah, not, you know, and, not, and that's no totally and that's weird because i normally don't feel that way i'm someone like i'll just i you know when i was in my dvd watching phase i would just have a movie in the dvd player the same movie for like a week just put it on like when i come home so yeah, i think and which and which harry really potter movie was that, that what's that which harry potter movie was it that you'd have in your dvd player uh number four are there four How many? <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yeah yeah uh the shadow of the Shadow of the, of the Sorcerer's Stone, something like that. I don't that. even know Harry Potter well enough to make a joke that would be good there. Deleted yeah. from the final cut. It's interesting that you called this like a sort of an acid film. I was trying to think of films to compare this to, and I said to John coming out of the screening, it's funny, this movie, maybe just because John and I have been doing so much with swashbucklers in recent months, it's like a swashbuckler told from the perspective of the Basil Rathbone character, you know, of like the second-in-command functionary who's sort of like sallow and humorless you know sure sure he's and, uh, but he was it's like actually... sexually humiliated by the hero <laughs> yeah exactly exactly he peeks in the window and there's you know fucking errol flynn rail and his lady well he just wants a goddamn letter to go back to spain <laughs> yeah. Seriously. get out of here not to be down <laughs> here in the you know although it should be mentioned that he also has a functionary like kind of a uh, uh, co- like a, like a not not the second in command, but someone who I guess is sort of what would you say there? They kind of have the same position, and yeah. that, and that guy is the one who's like really fiercely like, well, we're doing this for the Spanish government, you know, and he's like really by the book, and it yeah. just exasperates some throughout. Yeah. Um, no, but also I was thinking about you know that's a kind of funny comparison. I think Agare, Wrath of God is the closest comparison I can come up for this movie. It's got that same sort of tone, especially in the second half. Oh, that was interesting. Like drifts off into sort of uh, more remote, uh, uh, I don't want to say insanity, as he becomes more connected with a, uh, a landscape that to his mind is <laughs> untamed and cryptic and unintelligible, sort of as he enters into the native lands uh, more and more. But also I think this is a movie where very deliberately on the filmmaker's part, you don't want to talk in terms of, you know, untamed or wild or uncivilized, you know, that thematically a lot of the idea is about, you know, uh, the nature of sort of savagery and bureaucracy and organization and civilization and how those concepts play with each other. Absolutely. Well, and you know, when you said that too, I didn't even earlier today when I was talking about this movie, uh, Wrath of God didn't even come up in conversation. You know, that's really good. What, what um, Scott and I were talking about was there's like shades of Walker. 
uh, in this to, to, to some degree. Just the fact that like, this is a very like true to form period piece, but then just like, I'm the kind of person whenever like modernist music and there's ambient like modern, yeah. modern music used here. It just reminds me of Walker, how Walker takes place in whatever time period it takes place in. But then there's like helicopters and rotary phones and like automatic, you know, um, yeah. sprinkled, you know, throughout Walker. And, um, and you know, also to Valhalla Rising, not obviously yeah. not like the first half of Valhalla Rising, but just the second half when it just becomes like aimless, intentionally aimless, where it's just like the whole tone is like, what, the, what are we doing? Like, what, what's going on here? What are we doing? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, what, that's when I was going to talk about the music a little later and I mangled their name. I didn't check. To me, to my ear, that's obviously Los, Indi uh, Los Indios uh, Tabayaras, right? The people who are in, um, whose music is used in um, uh, Days of Being Wild, right? Like that's a lot of the music. I'm pretty sure is them. I oh should've... shit! I did, I I don't. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't know that. But and what's interesting in the context of this movie is they were really accomplished, uh, like jazz musicians who were sort of. Um, not forced to, but they ended up playing, they would have to like dress up in like traditional dress and, and stuff like that, where they were sort of, it's, it's unfair to say it was like a minstrel show, but they were dressed up like very traditional, like Aztec outfits to play this very elegant jazz music, right? Um, mm -hmm. And now I'm just gonna look up and make sure that that's them and Zama. Um, but I thought that was interesting thematically that sort of their life story keeps in, uh, in uh, there's a like thematic synergy with the movie, you know? Yeah. And uh, just, it, it just totally lends it to the, you know, the hallucinatory, I think, kind of feel of the whole film and how it's sort of purposely convoluted or confu confusing or confounding, I guess I should say, is the right word. Absolutely. Well, I'm with you, John. We didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep going. No, no, no. That's no, I just saying that that's sort of the whole approach to it. I mean, I kind of looked at it and uh, because it's based on a, an Argentine novel by uh, Antonio Di Benedetto, which was written in the 50s, but only became available in an English translation over the last two years, probably because of the movie, I'm guessing. Um, but because of that, I really had like a literary take from the movie. I feel like the first third feels like Waiting for the Barbarians, the great J.M. Kutzi uh, uh, novel. Yes. Yeah. The second part feels like magical realism, like a Carlos Fuentes or, a, or Marquez. And the third for me feels like Flannery O'Connor writing a Gary of the Wrath of God, you know? Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. And the, sec the second part especially. But, but having... with her, like, she, she has a very inimitable style. She's a very yeah. striking stylist. Her framings are instantly recognizable as Lucretia Martel, which is one of the things that I think for me, when I try and find an exact analog for this movie, well, of course there's nothing because of her, because of the way she films and frames and blocks her movies. I think that's absolutely true for this movie though, even more so than her other three films, which are all contemporary films. I feel like modern set films, I feel like this one, because it has this historical background to it that, and I don't think they say Paraguay once in the movie, you know, the, the town's called Ascension, but they yeah. don't uh, actually say where it is. Um, 
No, and she he wants to go to Lerma is yeah. where he wants to go. So right. that's like, <laughs> that's what I was more focused on. That's why when I meant to immediately say like, oh, I, I don't actually know where the film is set because it's all about wanting to leave it to go back to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big <laughs> part of it. But I mean, there's definitely some decontextualizing of, you know, the history of it to kind of focus more on the plight and the characters, I think. But I think at the same time, she did kind of let herself fall into like uh, the source adaptation and the the Latin and and Southern American literature. Obviously, a huge part of that is magical realism. Is you know uh, Marquez and, and and writers like that. Oh, it's so it's so magic realism. But this really reminded me of Nobody Writes the Colonel, which is about another functionary waiting for a letter that yeah. never arrives in like this backwood town, and both have the same. Just to we're gonna go touch on spoilers like we always do so turn it off right now and see Zama uh, mm. if you don't want any spoilers from this point forward but they both uh, no one writes the curl in this movie have a uh, the movie's tragic ending is the main character lives he doesn't <laughs> die that's the tragedy of this movie and that makes perfect sense too because Daniel Caccio was in an adaptation of no but no one writes to the colonel the, the star oh. of the movie who plays Zama he oh, was in he it with uh, Salma Hayek yeah yeah what I never yeah. saw that. He's also the bad guy in Get the Gringo, which I didn't realize when we were watching the movie. But oh. I think my favorite thing that he's done, he plays a recurring character, a coroner in both Kronos and We Are What We Are. It's the same character in the morgue <laughs> in those movies. Yeah, the only thing I remembered him from was uh, Solo Cantu Perea. That's Right, uh, he's the lead in that. Yeah. 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 yeah, he's great. He's someone I hadn't thought about until seeing this movie, but he's actually fantastic. Sure, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to. I mean, again, the villain of this film is is the is to me is like the true standout, and I, you know we only see him the last third of the movie, but that's like the my great Vacuña Porto. My God, yeah, he he's like a human lizard, like a human snake. It's like the way oh, it's such great casting too, because so much of the movie is building up the myth of this guy yes, who's exactly. recorded, executed twenty times, and then uh, Zama, who's so miserable, is like, "Send me on this suicide mission to get him." That's the only way I'm going to get this letter is if I go out to get this guy. Yeah. And then when he finally shows up on screen, he's gro- He's like, um, he's like the the fucking indie horror film guy. Larry Fessenden. Larry Fessenden. He absolutely <laughs> is. He's got that face. Yes, he does. And, so I leaned uh, over to Chris in the middle of the movie and said, hey, they got Larry Fessenden for this part. <laughs> yeah. Did you say that? I, I genuinely thought it was him, honestly. I didn't know. Like, does he speak, you know, Spanish? I don't know. <laughs> he does. Um, he's so good. Yeah, he's great. Well, Something the whole ha- second half of this movie is phenomenal. Or final third, like you're saying. Yeah, yeah About- final third. Absolutely. Once yeah, it's yeah, sort before of, we get too far off the second yeah. third of the movie too, the part where he's in the haunted hotel, yeah. which I said, you know, is the Don most- Diego Zama in the haunted hotel. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting having read the book because what Martel adds to that, and I, what I was trying to say was, you know, this, this literary tradition of magical realism uh, that's so big in, in South America, it's, she kind of adds all that in because there's nothing really even slightly supernatural about his circumstances in the book. I feel like, you know, obviously there's some, for him, there's some confusion going on. He doesn't know if he's being made fun of because he can't identify one woman from another. He doesn't know if like they're literally switching clothes and fucking with him. He doesn't understand what's going on. And I think she kind of adds that weird 
it reminded me of Aura, right? The Fuentes book. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's where, like, this, and again, this con- yeah, this confoundment is like you know working to like make this tone so yeah. interesting, and, and so it's very elliptical the way Aura is. It, yeah, it has oh, yeah. That sort of um, achieving a dream state without working for it. Her style is so naturally elliptical and oblique that it creates uh, uh, an almost supernatural quality effortlessly. Absolutely. You know? Something I never applied to Headless Woman before, thinking of it in like a supernatural sort of angle. Yeah. But I think it's interesting. I think it actually kind of helps you access that movie in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and it, you're 100% right. It's her style that, you know, uh, that just becomes so mysterious. And uh, Marcus, did you ever feel lost in this movie? Like kind of hopelessly, almost like you need her to throw you uh, a life preserver or anything to pull you back in? Yeah, you know, it's almost like embarrassing to say, but at this, you know, whatever. I remember like after it was over, trying to go back and read earlier reviews because it's like, did I did I miss something? You know what I mean? Like, um, were you, was there any doubt in your mind as to whether that lady was going to fuck that horse? What's that? <laughs> There's a scene with bestiality early on. They like go to an orgy and I had to talk with John about this. And oh, I got sure, the sense yeah. that like, eh, am I reading too much into this? No, same. Don't but, say that in the, the horse looks giant. Yeah. Sure, you're yeah. right. Yes. Person. No, yeah. well, for me, it was just more just like the basic plot. Like when you get into the muck of it, like literally like, yeah. okay, so like the middle of the second part, second whatever section of the film which is like the absolute middle of the movie i just remember being so immersed in just like the sound what was in front of me that like oh wait have i not been paying attention to the plot first and i remember thinking that and having to go back and like read some stuff about what little i could about it the only other place it played was at con and i I didn't really I, i still got the gist of the film but i think it's that kind of a movie not to sound all pretentious and silly but it is kind of you know there is a point to the movie obviously, but it's really just more about the feeling. At least that, you know, that's how it was for me. Yeah, no, I had the same thing too when it enters the third section and he joins the, like, uh, uh, Corriador party to go get Vicuña Porto. I was like, oh, is this a time slip? Are we going back in time to when Vicuña Porto is alive? And it was like, oh no, that's just finally admitting that that's all been a lie, that the execution of of Porto has all been a lie. But I only knew that for sure because of his beard, you know? And it's still, this movie has a feeling where you go, oh, is it slipping out of time? And there's that great moment with the the box in the hotel that's moving by itself. Yeah. And the guy says, I wish I could say it's inexplicable, but there's a kid in there. I think that's a lot of this movie, though, where you go like, wow, that's really inexplicable. And then you sit down to think about it and you're like, oh, no, the plot mechanics actually work perfectly for this film. Which like, is almost like a great that. gag when you think of something like the, the last shot of uh, the famous last shot of Stalker with, you know, mentally moving the cup, uh, the cups on the table. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost like taking that kind of, you know, the magic of transcendentalism and saying like, but it's probably some mundane thing that you just didn't think about all along. Yeah. Yeah. I think something that's too that she de-emphasizes in the movie that's, you know, you know, you kind of appreciate it more if you've read the book is that the reason that he can't move forward, you know, is that he's a Krayle, right? He's an Americano born in the new world. And that at the time there was like a new centralized system of government in Spain that they wanted to tighten the control over the colonies and said, chief administrators had to be Spanish born. That's the reason that he can't, you know, ascend any higher and that he's kind of stuck in this existential quandary throughout the whole thing is that, you know, just because of who he is, you know, he's never going to go 
anywhere. And you kind of see that immediately from that first shot of him standing yeah. by the water, kind of gazing out and mm-hmm. being trapped in this open wide space. Yeah. And, Mm-hmm. And just well, that's opening himself up to yeah. That's the whole theme of the movie is uh, about it's about it's funny. This will maybe turn some people off, but I think it's really too that this movie really has one of the few movies I can think of that has like an intersectional lens about colonialism and oppression uh, in cinema applied historically. Right, that mm-hmm. what you're saying plays right into that, which I didn't realize. What I was thinking about while watching it is the Luciana character who spends so much of the movie being like, they don't like me because I'm, you know, forward thinking and sexually liberated, you know, where she plays this like, you know, the white feminist, the like boss bitch who's like an outcast because like the men of the town don't like that she walks to her own liberated drum, but she's just as much part of the oppressive power structure as Zama is, as the governor is, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That like, this is definitely a dig at that sort of thing where she thinks of herself as being uh, oppressed when she's really just literally in bed with the oppressors, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that this uh, movie has on its mind is sort of uh, the top-down pyramidic way that colonialism functions, that imperialism functions. And I think it has uh, uh, a charitable view of that in a weird way, where it's definitely not a movie that's full of, like, uh, bad guys. It's a movie that's full of, like, humans, and every human being is awful. Did Did it make you think of Cobra Verde at all? Oh, absolutely. That's the other yeah. great comparison. To me, this, yeah. it's one of the great, yeah. No, like, and for those who may have, yeah, like, not to, yeah, I, I don't know if it had been mentioned up until that point, Chris, but yeah, like, Zama himself, he's not like, he's the main character, he's the protagonist, but he's not like, oh, he's this awesome guy either. You, you know what I'm saying? He's yeah. not, you know, not a great dude himself. Yeah, no, exactly. He's definitely not in charge, but he's not like an anti-hero either. That's one of the things that I think is interesting about how the film views his situation is that um, he can't do anything about this. He's both a cog in the machine and the simplest moral decision that he's trying to make is he has this son uh, that he's had who's, who's a bastard son, is what he gets called in the movie, who's with an uh, with a, with a, um, indigenous woman, right? And he just wants to go be a father. That's all he wants. And he can't do it. He literally can't, because of the way everything is structured, do the simplest activities, moral activities, let alone affect any other kind of change, you know? Like, and the final thing he does to go be heroic, I'll go get Bucuna Porto. And like, even that's absurd. He knows it's a death sentence. He knows that also Porto is a joke, that if you were to get Porto, Porto's just trying to get worthless quartz. Him and his gang are on like this quartz heist. They call them coconut rocks. Right. Mm-hmm. So Bucuna yes. Porto is like not a real villain, you know, like yeah. he's ultimately sort of absurd, you know, and I think that that's a lot of what this movie has on its mind, or certainly I watch it here in 2018 and think, God, you know, what, what can you do if you're somebody who's, you know, according to certain lenses, inherently part of the problem, if you're the dreaded middle-class white male, like, what's your role in change? And it's like, well, I guess go die, like, go out into the woods and die, and if you can't even do that right, what good are you, 
you know? You know, the moral subplot that really kind of spoke to me too was the um, uh, the clerk who's writing the book on the side, right? That oh he, my God. He finally yeah. had that, you know, he tries to get an out by, you know, uh, writing a scathing letter about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, to me, it's just like, you know, the kind of difference of like being a person who doesn't know how to function in society, doesn't know how to move yeah. forward against someone who he's got it figured out, you know, like he's fine. He knows exactly yeah. what he's doing. He's writing a book on the side, which makes him happy. And like, and he's able no, to- No, it makes him miserable though. You're my right. first reader. Like no one's ever going to read this book. <laughs> this book is never going to be worth anything. And he's got his whole life wrapped on it. He's like not Patterson, you know? <laughs> yes, poet John I, Patterson. He, I, I don't know. I guess because, you know, he has that kind of advantage over Zama that he's willing to like- help him out, you know, where yeah. Zama's willing to like throw him to the wolves so quickly. Yeah. But he also I, has I, a completely so. outsized sense of the meaning of this book, which is clearly meaningless. Yeah. You know? Right, right, right. Well, sure. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. For me, it feels like, I don't know, working at the popcorn stand and the guy next to you is like, yeah, I'm just finishing up my screenplay. And you're like, Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, really? Cause to those people, I'm like, you deluded lunatic. <laughs> you maybe are, that's it yeah you should be working your way up the managerial chain you know <laughs> right <laughs> you should not forget your dumb your dumb dumb screenplay if i have well, one piece I feel, of advice even worse to our before. listeners out there forget <laughs> your screenplay go there's a jewel route between here and what's the 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 Diderot? i forget the city he sends them to where he's like, go, go make your millions and then come back to me with your poetry when you're 30. And he comes back, <laughs> like, is my poetry better? And he's like, no, it's terrible. But now you're rich and you don't have to bother anyone with it. That's the good stuff <laughs> you can get. Marcus, did you find any character in this film to be sympathetic or heroic or something that could reasonably be called the hero of the movie or that you think the movie is viewing this through that character's moral perspective? Uh, I guess, well, funny enough, it's people who don't really say much, but I guess you could just say it's all the slaves in the background who are in the background on purpose, like prominently in the background. Those are kind of the more like, I don't know, like, I don't know about flies on the wall, but it's like, there's a lot of just static, unbroken few second shots of them, like fanning someone or just like standing in the background or just not doing anything. And like, those are the, like the people without a voice, are kind of the most literally without a voice in the case of the housemaid who's feeding yes Yes. yeah Yeah. or just like the kind of like weird unintentionally sexualized demasculized like slave male the one i I don't remember his name but like he has his powdered wig and he has the jacket on but like he never wears pants yeah like that's also a little weird yeah i call that marcus penn style Pretty much. No, is that too <laughs> fucked up to make that joke? I guess that no, joke has uh, that joke has implications. I didn't mean. I just mean you you hate pants. He hates wearing you love pants. powdered wigs. I got it. That's how I walk around my house. <laughs> so you this should definitely try the definitely try the powdered wig look, Marcus. I think that would be good. <laughs> I'm going to switch it and post to so John Cribb style. There you go. That's more accurate. Less loaded. I've definitely seen you with no pants on, wearing a jacket before. It kind of like brought that like the kind of colonialism theme to to an interesting uh, you know interesting perspective when you think like you know the main character you know on the one hand is this kind of guy who is so depressed with the situation and wants to move forward but at the same time is a, you know clearly exploiting the people around there and that his his biggest problem is 
I guess I can't, you know, have sex with this landowner's wife. I guess I'm going to have to make do with some of the local people, you know, the, 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 the poor indigenous people here. And it's disgusting to think about. But, right. you know, I think it's interesting on Martel's part, an interesting kind of angle to to tackle this specific character and kind of make him the, you know, give him, give us yeah. his perspective throughout all of that. Yeah. But it's also a movie that's explicitly about his total helplessness mm-hmm. in every way, you know, from every angle, which I think is, is fascinating. It's easy to say uh, there are obviously people who are getting the bad brunt of colonialism, of imperialism, the, mm-hmm. the, the slaves that are forced to dress, get their feet skin and dress up in ridiculous outfits and the, the poor indigenous who are left uh, sort of begging for table scraps, literally, you know, begging for yeah. the leftover fish guts. Mm-hmm. And, but that he can't do anything about, you know? And I think that that's definitely something that's worth thinking about, again, in a modern lens is that everybody says, if I were alive in that time, you know, they all think they're fucking Tarantino. You know, if slavery was around when I was alive, I just would have shot every slave owner. That's what I would have done. I would have freed all the slaves. (laughs) I would have shot them all, you know? And I think that there's, that that's a fantasy, you know? And I think that this movie comes from a place of almost political desperation, you know, of sort of uh, that his helplessness isn't explicitly a political helplessness, you know, that he's sort of frozen in place by society uh, very explicitly. That's what the yeah. movie's about. Yeah. No, it ties, I mean, that's one thing that ties it close to Cobra Verde, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Although Cobra Verde is interesting because Cobra Verde is more like uh, the, the villains are helpless in the system too. Like the people mm-hmm. who actually actively exploit are themselves exploited, that Cobra Verde is exploited, that the the king who's pretending to be crazy is exploited. You know. Oh sure. And there and there you get more, and then yeah. you're getting too into the second half of uh, Burn, right? The uh, Pontecorvo movie. Oh yeah, Burn. That's another great comparison for this. That's another. Well, great I mean, it makes sense. That's the same guy as Walker. No, that's the same uh, subject matter, right? Yeah, Burned is the. It's literally yeah, it the same awesome. character, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny when you first said Walker, I pictured the Paul Schrader movie. The Walker, <laughs> the Walker. Woody Harrelson. Was oh, like, I, no. I don't really see the connection, Marcus. To that, um, <laughs> um, but this is a this is a movie I, I I really liked. You sound maybe a little talked out on it, Marcus. Did you have any uh, any angle on it that John and I aren't seeing? No, not at all. I mean, if not, you guys more so than me. No, no, I'm, I'm not talked out at all. I'm just, I'm, I'm half enjoying listening to you guys talk. Um, no, I, you know, like I said, it's tough. Like things have stayed in my mind, but I am coming from the perspective of like half, I saw it half a year ago, which is crazy to think. I think time needs to slow down. Yeah. And do you think, I, I realized I don't really, I've heard you mention her occasionally, but not, Martell is a filmmaker that John and I are huge fans of. I think John and I, for both of us, Headless Woman is one of our very favorite movies of the past 10 years. How big of a, a Martell fan were you coming into this? Was this something you were really anticipating? Of course. I mean, for multiple reasons. She's similar to a couple of other folks who are like, you know, in two decades, she's only made four films and... um Well, I'm the guy, I'm more, I think, she hasn't made a bad movie, 
Although if I had to rank them, I was going to say earlier, I don't know, maybe because I haven't seen it in a while, but I used to watch it quite a bit. And I always felt, even after seeing Zama, I still feel like Holy Girl sticks out the most as far as like, it doesn't yeah. feel like a Lucretia Martel movie. Not that it's yeah. bad, um, but it's definitely ranked number four on everything. But I'd still watch that over a lot of, a lot of other stuff. I think, I mean, like, like to me, La Cienaga is kind of like that perfect movie that yeah and this movie has a lot in common with la cienaga they're both sort of about like the veneer of civilization in the jungle in a funny way yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that they're both sort of like this this like sweaty rot that overtakes people affecting bourgeois comfort yeah the the powerless privileged yeah and it's boonwellian in that way that's something i thought of with this movie too obviously more so with la cienaga but with this one i thought this movie has uh a strange sympathy for the bourgeois in the way that discrete term of the bourgeoisie and obscure object of desire do obviously do yeah yeah and that this movie has a sort of uh pain about how these systems uh, not hurt everybody, but like you know, nobody likes being nobody benefits. Yeah, 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 and that they sort of immoral systems make everyone immoral, and no one is particularly happy living an immoral existence. You know, right. yeah, kind of making the best of just sort of being on a stationary bike. Yeah. <laughs> but I think this movie has an incredible beauty to it that Boone Wells films don't. Boone Wells films are very, you know, dry, obviously, by design to allow the humor to flourish. This is one of the most gorgeous movies you'll see. <laughs> Period. You know, Absolute, like, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And it's all Martel. I think, you know, we've thrown out a lot of comparisons, but I think really it's what it is, is that she evokes, you know, things in certain scenes and you can, you know, make connections to other things. But really it's just that beauty, that mystery is 100% her, you know, like no one else could have made the movie like this and probably, probably couldn't have evoked all these positive comparisons to things either. Yeah. Yeah. So it couldn't have been made without her. It gets the pink smoke stamp of approval. I think we can agree. It gets four squeaks because it's the best one. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. It's funny. We were talking about the book right after we saw it. John and I both saw it together at the IFC Center. We did a double feature with this and then saw Let the Sunshine In right after. Uh, and we were, you were talking about the book. I was like, that sounds interesting. I'm not sure I want to read the book because like, it can't be the movie. It just can't yeah. have anything to do with it because her aesthetic is so specific and rich. There's no literary equivalent to what she does. You no, know, it's it's uh, it's completely possible to enjoy the book as its own thing and not yeah. even right. equate it to the film. You know, yeah. it, it is it is one hundred percent its own thing. Yeah, even something like Aura that Carlos Fuentes that we compared it to earlier, or No One Writes the Colonel. No One Writes the Colonel is a much more regular kind of story than this. Aura, literature gets, you know, naturally poetic when you move it towards verse. This movie is not, I wouldn't describe this movie as poetic. You know Mm. what I mean? Like, I don't think it's like trying to be like Terrence Malick and evoke a poetic feel. It's a, a grimy movie in a lot of ways. No, has anyone said that? Has that been, have you heard that? What? No, that it's trying to be poetic or like a Maliki or anything like that. Because I, no, I, I haven't heard that, but I haven't I heard guess someone would say do, a goddamn no. word about this movie. Have you? No, I haven't read any reviews or anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When, uh, I mean, when it, like, like in May, there were reviews. 
after the like the early screenings, yeah. Yeah, but, I was, but, try, but I was trying to that, ignore everything. I'm sorry, what? I was just trying to ignore everything leading oh, up to yeah, the movie. I'm, you know? I'm, uh, wait, I'm misunderstanding again. In May, this movie was shown in May last year. Yeah, it didn't it didn't premiere at uh at at the New York Film Festival. Oh, okay. Was did it premiere at Con? That's what I thought. It was definitely a festival well before the New York Film. It was well before the New York Film Festival. Uh, that makes sense. I thought it didn't. I thought it was actually a Venice that it premiered at Venice. Oh, it was Am something I before. I don't know. I could be off, but I know I read Venice about. Venice is it like August somewhere. too, so <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, don't yeah, ask. It premiered, it premiered at Venice. Yeah. I looked it up. I looked it up. It premiered at Venice. You're correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. It's interesting, too, because I think as we, this might be a good uh, way to transition into talking about Claire Denis. I think that we're talking about poetic and sensual cinema to shift it over to let the sunshine in from here. Are you guys okay with moving on to the next one? Of course. Sure. All right. So Claire Denis, we're big fans of Let the Sunshine In is her new film. Uh, it follows uh, Juliette Binoche playing a character named Isabel. A uh, woman of Juliet Binoche age, who is uh, recently single, recently gotten divorced, uh, and she is on the single scene, uh, involved in some relationships. I think is pretty much the summer summary of the whole plot, right? She kind of yeah. moves from one one relationship uh, to another in her her urban environment, and she's trying uh, to uh, fuck her way to happiness. <clears throat> and she's an artist, right? She's a self employed artist. Um, involved with uh, a gallery and art people, which I'm sure, Chris, is probably something that you recognize from your years programming a repertory theater. Yes. <laughs> I'm familiar with unpleasant, boring, rich people. <laughs> I thought I... maybe that was something you would react to. Um, but <laughs> obviously, obviously among us, I think Marcus Penn is the biggest yeah. player to buff. I'd love, like to, hear, to, love yeah. to hear some stuff from Marcus yes. Penn first off. It's, Marcus Absolutely. Blow. Your thoughts? Uh, I hope she ends up with uh, Alex Disca. That's all I have to say. <laughs> that seems like the healthiest option, right? But That's we the vibe know that she's I was getting. End, what, right? Wait, what? Huh? We know she's not with him by the end, right? Yeah, I know. You know what but my that's... favorite? Let me just say before you talk anymore, Marcus, so the audience understands. Uh, Let the Sunshine In is not just a, uh, a terrible title for a movie. It's a, uh, what's, I don't even have a joke there. Shitty title, shitty film. This is far and away Claire Denis' worst movie. I'm going to be making fun of it a lot. Sorry if I pepper comments while you're trying to speak seriously about it. Barry in the lead there, okay. <laughs> so go on. You want, think she should be with Alex Disca? I don't know if there's too much seriousness to talk about it. I mean, I think, not that I'm someone important, but as far as people who know me and my relationship with Claire Denis, after I saw it, because I wasn't gushing about it, everyone thought I disliked it. And it's not that I dislike it, it's just like, it's fine. I think this is something that like, she clearly made in a few weeks. Um, it just feels to me like, like Claire Denis, A, there's no trace of her artistic personality in this. That's the, uh, the transition I was going to give to it, is she normally does poetic, sensuous films. Yes. There's none of that in this. This, to me, was Claire Denis tries to make a Richard Linkletter movie and fails. It's all endless scenes of dialogue between deeply narcissistic people about their relationships and about what they think about the world, which is great when Richard Linkletter does it, and it is abominable here. 
Yeah, I don't even know about Richard Linkler. I just, I don't know. It definitely is the most unclear Denis movie. The only, I mean, it's uh, the only, obviously her regular actor, some of her regular actors being in it, mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, these guys, these are the, these are actors that I associate with Claire Denis. Yeah. And also, there's a, the the weird transition, like towards the end, because throughout the whole movie, I'm like, wait, I thought Gerard Depardieu was in this, because it's it's like a big, you know, like two French art house powerhouses are finally collaborating after all these years never was i so angry for a person's name to be on the poster than valeria bruni tedeschi never have i been felt more cheated that too more ripped off than the worst exploitation film sure the one the the thing is although i gotta say uh because this is another movie i saw last year uh, what made up for her was the fact that uh, she was in, and also really great in Bruno Dumont's uh, film uh, Malut or Slack Bay. So she's um, wonderful. She's I, I kind of yeah, she's wonderful in general, but she's really great in that movie. Also, which also co-stars Juliette Binoche. But um, the transition into seeing those two in the car is very like Friday nightish. You kind of yeah. forget that these people were like, because the movie's damn near over by the time they show up, and you're yeah. just like, I don't know what I you. I don't know what's happening. I, I don't yeah. know. Maybe, maybe well, they were. Friday Night is the obvious touchstone for this. This movie is like a twin film, The Friday Night, and it feels particularly uh, uh, annoying to me. I'm probably being too hard on this movie because Friday Night is, if not my favorite Claire Denis, it's the one I respond to the most. The main Holy character, shit, of Friday no, Night. Yeah, the main character is me. That woman is the Claire Denis character that I identify more than any other, except for maybe Dana Levant and Beau I would say that, that Friday Night's the one that gets me most deeply. I would never say I think it's her best film, but yeah. that's, that's really yeah. the one that I'm on the wavelength with. Mm-hmm. You, let me ask you this, Marcus, and let me ask you too, John. This was what I kept bouncing back and forth between in this movie. What do you think Claire Denis thinks of this main character? Do you think that Claire Denis thinks Julian Benoche's character is ridiculous or sympathetic? Or something in between. Something in between. John, what do you think? Well, just now, thinking about this movie, I came up with this fresh take, which may be totally off. I feel like this is Claire Denis' eyes wide shut. Whoa. I feel like this is not not in terms of like quality, but yeah. more so that like it's her story of somebody like exploring like sexual environments, you know, and yeah. how that relates to like her own personal neuroses. Yeah. And the only, the main difference being that, you know, Claire Denis didn't die before the movie came out. So, you know, no, I, I, was literally just channel my say, frustration. I was just going to say this better not be here. She better not leave us with this. Um, well, right. If she has like the way like, Chris like dislikes it, but still, yeah. she better not leave us with this. It's better not be no, here. no, but it does feel like you see filmmakers who are on an incredible run of films. And I would say with Beau Travai up through bastards. And now I appreciate bastards much more. That's mm. a flawless run of cinema. But that is something, though, almost I, unmatched. And this feels like her hitting the wall, and it happens to so many directors. I know? think, though, that like with white material, right? It was yeah. such like a, a you know a perfect way of coming around back to Ch- Chocolat, her first film. Yeah, you know, kind of going back to Africa and making it about this white woman in Africa. Um, and since then, I feel like she hasn't gotten, you know, her cinema hasn't necessarily gotten worse, but it definitely feels like it's a different 
a different act for her. Like I feel like bastards. In a plat- she, the, 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 there's a plateau. It's like yeah. When just like how I've been for la- for a long time, you still go to the gym and it's important because you sweat a little bit and you get your heart rate up, but it's still not like you haven't lost any weight or meet, reached reached any goals in a very long time. And that's kind yeah. of how it, it, it is to me. And then I, I think I was just, what happens, Marcus, is you stop plateauing and you start getting fat. It happens to everybody. It's inevitable. The is, sag happens. Well, maybe this is Claire Denise getting just a little, a little fat. I was, I mean, I was talking. Oh, it was both of you. Where I was just, I think you were, you were talking. Claire about Denise is fat, says the Pink Smokes review of Let the oh, Sunshine wow. In. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm no, just kidding. Just, I, on. Oh, but what? Oh, I'm, I was just yep. saying, like, she hasn't made anything in like over a de- like a decade at least. That just like it's been a while since it's something that's like hit me in the gut and I think when that's when when it's your favorite filmmaker you get a little antsy and a little agitated um which yeah. is kind of how I kind of I'd, I'd watch this again while like oh, oh, that sounds so bad I was gonna say I'd watch it like you know when you need something to have on when you're like you know yeah. cruising the internet kind of thing but that's for me it's like when, good that for me, it's like with, with white material, it felt like she was ending a sentence, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, tw- like, like a perfect 20 years also. Yes, 20 exactly. Years. And I feel like since then, she's maybe been just slightly more, a little less concerned about the story she tells and the characters that she <laughs> explores. I think that the reason it's kind of hard to tell if she thinks that, you know, Binoche is like this, you know, kind of liberated woman or this liberty gibbet is that you know she doesn't care as much about this character as she does about the friday night character you know yeah Um, well it's also weird this is what i pointed out to you john this movie that final scene it like gives itself the playoff music the movie gives while there's a scene going on the credits start rolling and it's like yeah, it doesn't even matter. Get off the stage. Wrap Everybody it up. Off the stage wrap and it up. <laughs> yeah. The movie yeah. tells itself to fucking wrap it up. It's insane. I will say, because we saw this movie, you know, after seeing Zama the same day, yeah. Zama is a two hours flew right by for me yeah. and this movie felt like it was two and a half hours long brutal and every and the se- the sequence to the trailers that played before it in the short film at ifc center oh my oh, god, god just try to ruin the day for me just not with- to mention the fact that it like at the end of it it was like and this is all a pre you know promotion for an event that happened yesterday <laughs> yeah but John, let me let me ask you this because I saw it with you, and you I think have a different relationship to Claire Denis movies than Marcus. Marcus, you know Claire Denis, you know uh, uh, Alice Horry. You have uh, a temptation to not to be. It's just a big part of your life. You feel emotionally sure, sure, connected sure. to it in a way that I think beyond me, they're just movies. As much as I love them, and as much as you know, uh, Lucretia Martel and Claire Denis, I think are three of my five two of my five favorite filmmakers right now you know i think they're they're top five so she means a lot to me but they're still just movies john what is what is your emotional reaction to this film to let the sunshine in i i really think that my emotional reaction is directly connected to the idea that denis is not investing herself as much in her more recent films as she used to and uh, and as such i feel like she's not as emotionally invested in it so I yeah I don't access it yes yes I can't access it and I can't decide how I feel about the characters uh 
and their situations. See, for I mean, me, I want to think this movie is about romance as an act of narcissism. How this mm-hmm. woman is clearly, she doesn't think in any terms about giving to the person she's with and what she's going to give to them and what their life together is going to be like, that it's a totally inwardly focused thing. Let the sun shine in. The French title, I think, translates more clearly to the sun inside, right? The sun with it. Right, or bright that, sunshine in. Yeah, that it's yeah. that it's sort of, it's a very inwardly, you know, uh, uh, self-helpish new way sort of relationship to romance you know and I want to believe that this movie is maybe a critique of that but I don't feel like there's evidence of that in the movie beyond the fact that this character is so absurd I mean she feels like a villain when late in the movie it's like oh and by the way she has a 10 year old daughter who's complaining about this (laughs) you know you're like wait what she has a daughter you know it just feels like uh you know, just like one of those twists in a horror film when it's like, it cuts to, and there's a kid in the room and you're like, no, you know. Right, where right. you like, where on the one hand, you feel like you're not, you're clearly not supposed to be siding with the ex-husband. He seems like a total asshole. Yeah. Uh, you do side with him when he's like, you know, this isn't good for our daughter. What's, what's going on with you? You yeah. know, it's like, it's hard not to say, oh, he's kind of right. I don't know. Well, all the dudes are so gross. Marcus, do you find a single guy in this movie other than Alex Dekas even 1% appealing? Would you hang out with any of these guys? Yeah, actually I would. Obviously most of them not. Like the one dude, the rich guy who's like just a total asshole who yeah. takes forever to make his drink. No, but the um, the one, I, I did feel a little something for the guy who, he, uh, I, I forgot what he did for a living, but he was of, you know, quote, the lower class. Like, oh, yeah. John and I couldn't stop laughing at that guy. Squint, I mean, he's dopey. Squinty winning wiener. Yeah, he's dopey, but he didn't. He he's he's not a threat to. He's done nothing yeah. to no one. Like yeah. you know what I'm saying. So and he, she treats him so vile, and the movie makes a point of pointing out that she's treating him vile. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah, but then at the same time, then you like him more when they kind of split because he kind of he's just like, so what? The, what's going on? Like, what's your problem? What's the deal? And then you know what? I don't need this shit. Basically um yeah so, yeah so i guess i could say i like him obviously not necessarily with her but yeah he he seemed like a cool guy to to, to have a, a a a beer with i I'd, I'd hang out with him for a short period of time no, but absolutely no one else you would dance with him no because i don't like to dance but uh <laughs> I, I i get what you mean <laughs> yeah yeah but it's but it's also that scene where they first dance together in the club i feel like just the music in that scene it's the it's um at last, it's the Etta James, James, right? Yeah. That's like such a cliche. It almost feels like this is leading into a joke. And then it's that guy making his like kissy faces. It's like, I can't believe I'm supposed to be taking this seriously. That didn't, uh, that didn't seem like a callback to you to her use of like the Beach Boys and Nanette and Bonnie and stuff like that. But this is what I feel like is sometimes as a filmmaker, you just lose your touch. You know, that you just lose your shot and it stops going down, you know? And I agree with you. It works with the Beach Boys. Uh, She uses music great in her films normally, Mm -hmm. which is what feels so strange about like a, whatever the opposite of a deep cut is, you know, it's at last by Ada James first seeing a guy on the dance floor, you know? Yeah. 
and it, then it doesn't work. It's not like compared to the dance scene in 35 rums where they can't make it to the concert. So they just go put on the jukebox and like the little restaurant and they're all dancing. And like, that's one of the most phenomenal scenes in any of our movies and the rain and all that. Sure. Yeah. By comparison, this scene is a joke. Yeah. You know, it just cool. doesn't work. Yeah, by compare, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, you know, as we talk, I do wonder too. I don't know if I should tread lightly. I don't know if I'm going to offend someone, but it's like I wonder if, like, because it could be man or woman. Like when you get to like the age that someone like Claire Denis is, and you're making like a getting back out there dating relationship movie, is there like an out of touch quality that they just have with that world? You, you know what I'm saying? Like it's not that people of all ages don't date and get out there, but just. Uh, to the extent that 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 movie shows, I I don't know. Like, do do you get where I'm? Do you get where I'm? I'm I'm I'm. I do get what you're saying. I, I do get what you're saying. It reminds me of the new Nick Swardson show. No, but I do. I absolutely know what you're saying. I, yeah, but to me, it's more like as soon as I saw this movie, I went and was like, immediately like Agnes Goddard did not shoot that. You know, it doesn't feel like a failure of, of. Uh, anything in the film itself, it feels like a failure of style to me. I couldn't believe that, you know, that, that Agnes had shot it. Uh, yeah. I, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't get over it. Yeah. Like, um, and there's a lot of things about this uh, that she had worked on the screenplay. I, I, I just couldn't, I can't fathom what happened here. Bastards, I agree with John, feels like uh, a disinterested movie. It feels like the work of a filmmaker who's not connected to what she's doing, but it still feels like a Claire Denis movie. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, it yes. still feels very much like what she does. This movie, I just, I, I can't get a handle on it. I can't get a handle on it. I wonder if, you know, too, the idea, you know, the, 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 just the idea of working with Binoche finally like getting together and doing something. I wonder how much that influenced this project. I wonder how early Binoche came into it. I wonder if Denis wanted to tell this story thinking that, you know, she might cast whoever in it, you know, that it might be uh, Takeshi in it, you know, who could, whoever it could yeah. be. Um, at, or if, you know, Binoche came to her and said, let's do something together. And that she said, okay, I'm going to write a character that you can play. Yeah specifically mm, yeah. for that, that idea because i feel like anyone who's going to be praising this movie is going to be praising it because of binoche more than anything you know yeah. this is like giving and she her is role excellent in it. Yeah. she's in every yeah of course it's binoche she's in every scene except for one you know and it's like it's the binoche show from beginning to end that people reacting to this movie positively is going to be like hey somebody wrote a really good part for binoche to to, to be binoche to be fantastic in it um and how much denis maybe distanced herself from the making of this film because it was she knew from the beginning it was going to be this binoche show you know that she how much she took herself out of this film but again like you said that the fact that she used her regular people that Godard shot it that she co-wrote the screenplay i don't know i don't know I, that might just be me making excuses at this point for why this film is so less claire denis than the kind of things where the kind of challenging films that we're so used to from yeah. her. Yeah. Marcus, you're more tapped into that than John and I are think normally. Do you have any like insider 
you know, inside baseball info on like what, what she's been saying about this film and where it comes from for her artistically. See, no. And I feel weird about it because it's like, shit, this, uh, doing this episode is starting to bring up some stuff. Like after I saw it, I hadn't, I mean, I wrote about it. And then after that, I'm not going to say I forgot about it, but I didn't read what others had to say about it. I, which I normally don't with Clarity movies. Um, I could tell Marcus and I was worried about that. I was like, why is Marcus sitting on this movie? You know, why isn't he talking about this more? You know, why doesn't it come up more often in his Twitter feed and stuff? Yeah, I mean, there's like a couple of things, but mainly, I mean, again, I'm like an image-based Twitter feed, and there's not a lot of images for this movie. That that, that could be part of it, but um, I just, I know... um, But you do plenty of writing on your site on Penland Empire and you of did course. a little piece on this but I did yeah. I don't, but, the, but then I realized when I went back and read this in preparation for this the whole crux of it was really just and I think that's I think that's part of the problem and I hope I don't I have to give Claire Denis and Juliette Binoche more credit in the fact that it's just this like oh finally Claire Denis and Juliette Binoche and then it's kind of like oh well, what do we got uh you know I think that's yeah. kind of what and that's because like the crux of what I wrote about it was just the fact that like oh, Claire Denis and Julia Binoche come from this extended tree of like Olivia Sayas, Leo Karash, and how they all used a lot of the same actors. And that's yeah. kind of like, that's more what I talked about than the actual movie itself, you know? Well, it feels crazy for the, the <laughs> preeminent French actor of her time, who's one of the top three or four French actors of her era, yeah. Yeah. to not have paired with the greatest French director of her generation. It feels who, weird for them. Who is also close personal friends with two other directors that Juliette Binoche has worked with exactly. multiple times. Yeah. Multiple times, yeah. It feels, it feels weird that they've never gotten together before. But again, I think that how often, that's why I go back to Friday night, how often has, does Claire Denis deal in characters who possibly could have been played by Binoche? You have white materials about it, but like what roles could she have even had Binoche in? You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think that I agree with you when it, John, when you say this feels like maybe it was just, I want to work with Binoche. I don't necessarily have a great idea. And then it's moving yeah. forward, you know? That's just kind of like an excuse that I kind of feel like could be made in the yeah. back of my mind. I mean, Binoche could have played, uh, you know, I don't know, the Mastriani part in Bastards. You know, I, there are definitely some other projects. Yeah, I guess. See, oh, I don't really see that. I, see, I, I, do, I was going to say Valerie uh, Lemessere. I know I'm butchering her last name, but the main actress from, you know, Friday Night. I could see Binoche in that role. Yeah. Yeah, I could too. But again, that's what I'm saying. Friday Night in this movie are like weird peas in a pod and some. Very true. Very true. Weird piece on the pod. I mean, my most positive takeaway from this film is definitely that Binoche is, you know, one of the greatest actors. And I, and halfway through the movie, I was like, I got to see The English Patient again. You know? Yeah. Who I had that thought too, John. That? Wait, I had that ever. exact same thought. <laughs> no, fucking yeah. for real. Yeah. I was like, literally, I was like, What's up, what's up with the English patient? <laughs> I wonder if there's something in the movie that specifically triggered that. I wonder bet if we went and watched it again. I wonder if there's a moment. Yeah. I had that thought where I was like, she was like, she, she should have been the biggest. Like she's not, somebody like Isabel Huppert, it's hard to imagine her succeeding in Hollywood. Binoche has the entire toolkit to be uh, as big an actress as there is in the world. You know? Have you guys seen that? Um, speaking of, have you ever seen the, the SVU episode that Isabel Huppert did? No. The What's SVU? The Law, Law and Order SVU Special Victims Unit. Oh, no. I thought you were talking about the Paul Shear show. Is that that guy's name? 
He has like oh. a. Uh... Oh yeah. Oh, children's. Oh no, no, no. This is the long running. Yeah. So it's just. Uh, yeah. No. She she shared screen time with Ice T. Isabel Huppert and Ice T. Um, <laughs> acting side by side. It, yeah, it was weird, but it That's was like. That's funny because uh, they also are both in Tank Girl together. <laughs> Am I confusing her with someone? She's a great mutant kangaroo in that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I meant surviving the game. Um, Marcus, am I being too hard on this movie? I don't know. I I, I didn't say no. Uh, I I don't know. After after this talk, I don't know. But it's like I'll see anything by Claire Denis. Maybe I I need to. Maybe I'll I'll see this again. Um, shit. Do you, do you guys think I owe her something? Do you think? Don't you think I owe her? No, yes. I need like you owe her like you know a fair appraisal of a movie, and I think that's what we're giving this. I keep thinking like I did not hate this movie, you know, yeah. I did not hate it. I I, did, I didn't either. Absolutely, I enjoyed, I, watching it. I enjoyed watching it. It was fine. I hold it up to Claire Denis standards. That's her fault, you know, yeah. for me for being one of the greatest filmmakers of her generation. Exactly. I cannot compare this to her other work, and as such, it feels it, it's it feels a little bit like a slouch. You know, I mean, that's just kind of the, that's the beginning and end of it, I think, you know, is um, if this is the kind of movie that Denise is going to make for the rest of her life, then she's already done way too much. You know, she's done her half. Yes. yes, uh, yes. More than she's, she's put in more than her, you know, amount of beauty and amazing uh, art into this world. Um, and I can't stay mad at it. And this movie definitely, like I said, made me appreciate Julia Binoche, the actor. You know, and uh, you know what movie this reminded me of, John, when I was watching it? I kept thinking, oh my God. Nice white shirt? No, I'm watching <laughs> another Burying the X, where this director I love oh, has this just. This definitely was not that depressed. Has just, just has totally, no. what I like about them has abandoned them suddenly and entirely. No, but Burying the X is, X is, a, X is a horrible movie. Yeah, know? and I guess it isn't it. I just felt like this is a person, a filmmaker who... At worst, it's Maps of the Stars. <laughs> just somebody I've always been on the wavelength with, and I am not now, you know, to a point where I can't access it. I feel like if she explained to me what she was trying to do, she'd probably convince me that I'm wrong. You know? Yeah, I think that's part of the reason why. Uh, it's fun. Damn, it's funny you say that. I remember. I think that's part of the reason why I like Bastards is because I knew where she was coming from before I saw it. So I was like, oh, okay, no, totally. She succeeded in what she said she wanted to do. Yeah, Bastards has grown on me. I just feel like she was on such a run when Bastards came out. I was expecting another film on the level of Thirty Five Rums, White yeah. Material you know, Beau Travai, I, if anything, The Intruder. Think of everything leading up to that. Oh, you know? The Intruder, I, I feel like, I mean, again, I know Claire Denis is not a household name, but that's, I think that's like the most forgotten of her movies, in, in my so opinion. so amazing. I, guess, I mean, like, I guess yeah. like, like a Nanette and Bonnie and like, uh, I get, well, I guess technically No Fear, No Die is the forgotten one, but that yeah. movie is like, a ma- that's, that's just like, no kind of release. Come by. Yeah. Like, no kind of release, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I agree. Intruder is fantastic. Yeah. I just felt like, oh, I want another monument to her genius. And Bastards isn't that. Bastards is just a really good Claire Denis movie. I'll just say with this movie, it's, you know, it makes me feel like, oh, she skipped, she, 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 she missed it on this one. She missed the boat on this one. I'll see the next one and she'll, she'll be back. With burying the X, I literally felt afterwards like, 
maybe Joe Dante shouldn't be making movies anymore. You know, <laughs> like that's like that level of like a failure of that film with this. No, I you're feel right. Like, though, that's it's maps like, to the stars. It's yeah. the maps to the stars yeah. reaction. Like, oh, don't do that again. Right. I'll see the next Cronenberg, but I hope <laughs> it's not anything like this. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know. I just, after my reaction to Elsa Dorman, B-side photographer, where I was so hard on that movie, and then I thought about it, and I was like, really, I need to... And then you got Wormwood. Yeah, and then he got (laughs) Wormwood. So, I don't know, man. I don't know. I guess we've been going at this for for over an hour. We should should wrap this on up. Uh, Marcus, do you have uh, thoughts in summation? on Zama and let the sun shine in. Uh, Zama's great. It's, um, I'm sure it's going to be on my, my top 10 of, uh, of, of the year. That's, you know, a big piece that I always love putting together. Absolutely. Let the sunshine in. I don't even know if it'll be in my, um, if it'll be in my, um, jury prize, which is like the kind of like favorite movies from like stuff that like I'm biased towards. Um, yeah. yeah doing, if, 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 I feel like if, if I didn't do this podcast tonight, I, it, it probably would, it would have been like, oh, it's a Claire Denis movie. Yeah, no, I liked it. But I haven't, I, this is like really critically thinking about it for the first time again in half a year. And it's like, damn, now I got some, uh, I got some, I got some realizations to, to, to face. Maybe I did maybe, maybe pe- pe- people were right. Maybe I didn't really like this movie. I don't know. Do you, not do you not like, hate it, but I, I don't know. Yeah, my like, impression like better? Was- let, let the sunshine in or sunshine? Oh well, come on! I I I will or watch Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> oh, that movie! No, fuck no. <laughs> but it's like you know what it is. It's like I mean, yo, just to to kind of connect it and compare it to another one of her buddies. It's like it's her limits of control, kinda. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Although I think limits of control is a formal experiment in a way this movie is not. Yeah, yeah I guess I definitely see the Jarmish in that film. That just feels like that one time where Jarmish didn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where he was trying to do something like Night on Earth that was conceptually aggressive, you know? Yeah, yeah. this movie does not feel conceptually aggressive. It's a lot of people sitting around and talking about their feelings and like ah, let's go on a date. I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like bad desplechin or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't even have a good comparison. It's because it's not like that stuff. It's not like looking better. It's not like desplechin. It's like one of those terrible French movies you see at Toronto that has like Juliette Binoche and Jean Reno in it. And it's kind of a romantic comedy, but not really because what it really is is nothing. And this yeah. is one of those movies. Yeah. It's not like Desplechem because I feel like it's very in the moment and you don't really learn anything yeah. about these characters. You know, there's nothing kind of going forward or back that it's all going to come together in the end. Or as I feel like with Desplechem, obviously, he creates a bigger picture yeah. through, you know, the char- that, that character's experiences and the things that we learn about them throughout the film. I know, I'm sure it was probably a stylistic choice to make Binoche, you know, to kind of learn as little about her as possible beyond the fact that she's an art, you know, a divorced artist with a daughter. But it kind of just makes you with wonder, like, terrible well, taste in dudes, terrible taste in men, other than <laughs> Alex Desco's. <laughs> um, but even that, that's like his only virtue is that he's Alex Descas. If I didn't know who I was, would I have been like, that guy seems all right? You know? <laughs> 
But I, I, don't, I mean, well, it's hard to say. If he acted like that, sure. I mean, he, he's cool. He's not like, you know, asking for organic olives and bullshit like, you know, the other guy. Um, yeah. And know. he's not, you know, an actor who's got to right. bring home pizza to his wife. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, real real parade of... Uh, that was the worst, dude. Gross dorks. <laughs> they were all the worst. Every single one was the worst. Even Depardieu was the worst. <laughs> Going to that, that's the thing is like, I, I feel like there's this weird thing that I might have a visceral reaction to where it's like, again, to bring it back, it's a weird comparison to Zama where there feels like critique here where it's like this modern forward thinking woman who's still going and getting like advice from a psychic. You know what I mean? Like this sort of weird, like what is, what does that kind of person mean in a new context? Well, I think that all comes back to your question of how we're supposed to feel about her, right? Because how Denis feels about her, you know, her going to the psychic at the end seems like a very, you know, hopeless and pathetic thing to do. Yeah. So I, don't I just know. feel like maybe too much in my own life. I encounter people who are like, you, I can't believe how do- dumb Donald Trump is. He doesn't believe in climate change. And tomorrow, Mercury's rising. So I'm going to be in a bet. You know what I mean? Like, so stay away from Gemini's, you know, like this sort of like conflict where I'm like, this is a ludicrous human being I'm forced to deal with here. And we're talking about like, you know, comparing it to Denise, other great films. I feel like also the fact that both Binoche and Depardieu both had incredible films only a few years ago, like yeah. new, new classics, new masterpieces. Yeah. Also it works against this film in a way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Marcus, am I forgetting? Is there, this is by far the talkiest Claire Denis movie, right? Like this movie probably has more dialogue in this movie than all of her other movies combined, right? No, I mean, uh, no, there's like, there's a lot of like just traditional dialogue in um, No Fear, No Die. There's a lot of That's talking true. in that. Yeah, um, and I Can't Sleep has has a fair amount of talking too. Yeah, I Can't Sleep. Say, so, yeah, I mean, I guess Nanette and Bunny kind of, yeah, maybe not so much as, as, as the ones we just named. Um, yeah, once it gets to Nanette, but once she becomes clear to me, it's not about people talking. It's about true, true, people true, sort of true. feeling each other. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, definitely everything from Beautrevay on, this is her talkiest without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. There's not enough feeling in it. That's why it doesn't feel like a clear Denny movie to me. The characters don't feel each other in a palpable way. The problem is, you're right. And I think what makes... (laughs) What? I don't think they like each other. (laughs) No, I think the thing is someone like like a Claire Denis or someone who's pro this movie, the problem is, I agree with you, Chris, but someone would argue that. They would say, oh, no, it's full of feeling because she hasn't given up on love yet. Yeah. It's like like that's the kind of response you get. I guess so, but I I feel too like every... criticism we throw in this movie's way i feel like people who love it will say that's the point (laughs) like that's what she was going for the you didn't like that but that is exactly what she wanted you to think at the end of the day i just want a confirmation of that within the movie right i just want the movie to confirm that instead the movie is like okay everybody leave the theater it doesn't matter that the movie's still going on yeah. Leave the theater, yeah. I guess I guess the good news is that we get we get another Denis next year, right? Another Binoche Denis and you know, do over, right? <laughs> yeah, I hope I yeah, I hope this is good. Uh I'm a little I'm yeah, I don't know, like a space movie with the rest of the it's the uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It could be a mixed bag. Yeah. I mean it is a mixed bag. It's just I, I don't know how it's gonna I don't know. Yeah, Pat- yeah, Patterson, Patterson's kind of won me over, man, I'll be honest. Although I am jealous of him for marrying FKA Twigs. 
Who who has won you over? Oh, Pattinson. Oh, Robert, Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. Who's, who's FKA Twig? Oh, she's a singer. A she's like an indie pop art singer from uh, from England. She's amazing. I, I doubt it. She's a musician. She's, she's probably for, yeah, formerly known as wildly overrated. Like Listen, you're talking you're talking to you're talking to somebody who does not is probably the least impressed by music musicians of anyone you know. And <laughs> I am. That's our bond, her. John. That's yeah. our bond is not being interested in musicians you should listen to her album i i here's what i can guarantee you no i should not this is that's the chris funderberg promise it's gonna win you over man marcus should i listen to it is it better or new or worse than a new rock marciano oh it's not much as good as a new as rock marciano but it's like but it's comparing to it's you know i don't know it's comparing uh it's comparing lawrence taylor to joe dumars two different sports two different positions it's not a good comparison (laughs) nice well said (laughs) okay uh let's wrap it up huh john can you handle the outro i just wanted to thank mr marcus penn for being on the podcast you should listen to his show zebras in america unlike this show it is free to listen to for anyone i'd like to thank our patreon subscribers who are the only people that can listen to the pink smoke podcast and is a benefit of your membership and our money goes towards paying the writers who write for the site we've got a great uh article coming up that's probably up by the time you hear this from tenebris kate on Night of the Demon as the final article in our Jacques Turner month and we were only able to publish that article because of support from patrons like you. So I wanted to thank Marcus, thank the listeners and pass it over to John for the outro. Thanks for listening everybody. Have a great time. (laughs) Good night Marcus. Good night.